Good afternoon. It is Monday, August 24th, 4.38 p.m. I hope you all had a good week. I know I did. It was freaking busy. I tried to take a day off. Didn't quite work. Um, I'm going to try to take a day off tomorrow and see what happens. I'll probably just work my ass off like I always do. Um, but yeah, the fires have really put a damper on outdoor activities that I wanted to engage in. It's really gnarly out there. Um, when I wake up and I look at my window, the sky is white, like a whitish gray. And right now it's kind of like a light, light blue, but it's, it's kind of gray, you know, got tinges of gray in it. Um, on Friday, when I tried to take the day off, I was in Japantown and there were like ashes in the air and it was just, it was discouraging to be out there. And my heart really goes out to all the people that are affected by these fires. And I feel like everyone in California is affected right now. Um, it just, when you're smelling it in the air and you're seeing it in the sky, there's no hiding from it. You know what I mean? So when it rains, it pours, I suppose. I am bringing you part four of Portland Bend Racist. I appreciate your patience today. Uh, I had a huge load of shipping to take care of, and then I had to research. And um, there is a lot of information on this particular era, which I'm going to cover a portion of the 1920s in Portland, the early part of the 1920s. And so on that note... It took, there was more information to read, sift through, and take notes on. I appreciate your patience. So um, the subject of part four is about the Ku Klux Klan's presence in Oregon. I want to preface this episode with a trigger and content warning. There will be mentions of violence, and also um, I will be repeating snippets of speeches that are directed towards non-white people and there are some anti-Semitic sentiments and anti-Catholic sentiments expressed in quotation as well. Uh, they do not reflect my own opinions, of course, um, but I am merely repeating some of the things that uh, were said. Okay, so let us begin. Um, as most of you guys know, the KKK started during the Reconstruction era, which was directly after the Civil War. And this was the time when the, the South was trying to recover its economy. And people from the North were coming down and taking, in, taking up business opportunities. Um, enslaved Black people were, quote, freed. Um, and they were trying to also gain some economic and social agency in entering into society and participating as citizens, um, even though they weren't really given citizenship, but they were working towards that. Um, this was a huge threat to a lot of white people 
who had been uh, disenfranchised socially and economically. Um, and it was a threat to what they deemed their culture, um, which was based on the enslavement and oppression of black people. So just just for any of those out there listening who don't have a clear understanding of how the Klan started, that's how it started. Um, it was a covert terrorist organization, and it involved, uh, it was a fear-mongering organization as well that included lynching and cross-burning. It was suppressed by the mid-1870s, but the damage had already been done. That's the thing about about the Klan, the way it infiltrates through either terror or you'll find out later through insidious, more insidious means as they become more slick. Jim Crow laws were in place and they did all the dirty work of the Klan systematic, systemically. So um, the way that came about is people in power were also in the Klan and they were able to bend the ears of other people in power to get the Jim Crow laws in place. At the turn of the century, however, the Klan had a big revival, and it was due in no small part to D.W. Griffith's film Birth of a Nation in 1915. By the early 1920s, membership reached over 2 million and this era became known as the Second Clan. The Second Clan had a slightly different target this time, Catholics, Jews, immigrants, and bootleggers. They were heavily uh, aligned with the Christian temperance movement, and they were definitely against alcohol consumption of any kind. However, the, the bootlegger industry may have been one of the the few forms of economic viability for people that weren't allowed to be employed gainfully and respect quote respectably so it was a really easy way to target target marginalized communities um, and it's kind of like the war on drugs nowadays they would have parades and picnics and lectures. They controlled over 100 newspapers. They had two colleges. Ugh. I guess it began with the K, right? And a motion picture company. And people would join to raise their status in the community. Um, it, primarily, it was working class and lower middle class people um, that would have like tradespeople. Um, people that wish to achieve upper middle class status um, and to have more more say and more control over um, their political and civic life. <clears throat> Pardon me. The Klan began expansion in in the West and. Oregon was the perfect place for the Klan because it was mostly white people. So you're going to get a lot of white people joining because it's by white people for white people. Um, and it was a, a population of 95% white people, 85% um, native born and mostly Protestant. 
So, I mean, the easiest way to get members is to go where people already have all the prerequisites. It became home to, Oregon became home to the largest KKK organization west of the Mississippi with 30,000 sworn members. By 1925, however, the Central Chapter had dissolved, and by 1930, it had been completely erased. And I'm going to get into that part um, in the final episode of Portland Been Racist. In June of 1921, uh, Bragg Calloway was sent from the Atlanta headquarters uh, to Oregon to scout its potential as an outpost in the West. Now, the goal was to begin covertly. They didn't want anyone, no one, none of the higher-ups in the Klan wanted anyone to know why Mr. Calloway was there and what organization he was affiliated with because, see, the Klan still had this reputation for terrorism and torture. And maybe it was more accepted into southern society by then and by into midwestern society but in the west there wasn't really anything to attach it to because there weren't enough black people which i mean they did participate in terrorizing black people there but there weren't enough of them to to have a whole hate group with because they were able to terrorize black people on their own but I'm going to get into this a little bit more. There was an incentive for the Klan to to expand its its reach. Um, they wanted they wanted political power, and there was an incentive for the recruiters of of the Klan members. Klan uh, members who recruited uh, it was almost like a multi level marketing thing because if you recruited somebody you would get 45% 40% excuse me of the fee and the fee was $15 which is like you know what that is now that's $190 in today's money so basically you would get the equivalent of $76 per sign up okay um so there was something in it for everybody that was already in the clan. And that they would use the other percentage to to pay people off and to buy pastors and governors loyalty and you know contribute or create so-called philanthropic funds which were actually just to bribe people. Um but even though Brad Calloway was supposed to go there incognito, he just spilled the beans. He spilled the beans. Less than a month after being there, he tipped off a local newspaper. He got greedy for fame and fortune, and they fired him right away. Enter Luther Powell. Luther Powell replaced Calloway. He was from Louisiana, and he started in Medford, which is a small town near Oregon's southern border. And he, the way he angled it, he was a big huckster. He wasn't just a Klansman. He was also a shady 
money-hungry pig. He sold it as patriotism, cultural conservatism, and social order. And and he drove the support of prohibition home because because prohibition is is just the perfect cloak to you know if you if, if you are pro prohibition then you're automatically deemed a decent person and that's dangerous i've known so many sober assholes it's not even funny you know it's you can be a jerk sober um in just a few weeks, over 100 men were sworn in. And guess what? It was mostly cops. Can you believe that? They had to sign their name on this form called Form P underscore 207, stating that they were a native-born, true citizen of the United States, that they were white that they were Gentile, meaning not Jewish, and of temperate habits, a believer in Christ, and of the maintenance, maintenance of white supremacy. They had to list their address and their place of business as well. In turn, a more extensive questionnaire would be sent back to them from the Atlanta headquarters. And this was when the applicant was required to submit the $15, quote, donation. All right. So if approved, the applicant was required to fill out form 103JFH. See how they made all these official little forms. Uh, Now, on that form, you would have to state things like how much money you made, what your profession was, what your eye color was, what your height was, what your build was, what your weight was, how many kids you had. It's, it, it sounds a very eugenicist to me. Um, extreme, and, and also like the, the strange like form number filing system was, was not only ascribed to the different forms to give it some, a sheen of legitimacy, um, it's also very similar to the meticulous records that the eugenicists and the Nazis kept. And the, the Klan had a very eugenicist aesthetic to it and vice versa. So I wanted to connect those two together. So you had to pledge to uphold the secrecy and uphold the laws of the clan and uphold the principles of Americanism and chivalry. Never tarnish the clan's reputation. Which means basically if you do something awful or if you know that somebody does something awful, you're not allowed to say anything. Members were expected to pay dues and attend meetings and participate in clan activities. Okay, so when they weren't burning crosses of uh, lectures were were pretty much mandatory um there would they would have famous clansmen um lecture in different you know arenas of, of different size um and these these lectures were were forms of entertainment for the general public um this was to keep people temperate, 
So it was a good alternative. Um, attending lectures were very, of all subjects, not just clan subjects, but, you know, spiritualism, gardening, music, hunting, you name it, literature. And it was, it was kind of like the podcasts of today, pretty much. Um, it kept people from being intemperate in, in drinking. It kept people from fornicating because you, you can't really do that in public. Um, it gave people something to talk about. And also it kept them out of other less reputable establishments like theaters. And it kept them from seeing the wrong kind of movies and that sort of thing. So those were some of the type of things that you would be expected to attend. So Luther Powell, when he was in Medford, that was Medford was kind of like the little guinea pig of of the Western indoctrination, and it was the the precursor to his arrival in Portland. He claimed there was insufficient prohibition and demanded the recall of the county sheriff. And he was able to exercise this much power in such a short time by using the policemen, who were now clan members, as his muscle. Isn't that sick? And then soon the mayor became a member, within about three weeks of Powell. By July of 1921, Powell began to target Portland. So he, he moved on pretty fast. And he targeted them on a much larger scale. Within months, membership in Portland grew to thousands, and it became the center of operations for all of Oregon. By winter of 21, the Klan came out of the closet, and they revealed themselves. A local pastor and Klan organizer, Reuben H. Sawyer, gave a speech titled The Truth About the Ku Klux Klan at the Portland Municipal Auditorium in front of 6,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a big lecture. That's a rally. Sawyer accused the media of misrepresenting the Klan as a wildly dangerous mob. He assured the crowd the Klan was an institution of chivalry, humanity, justice, and patriotism. And law-abiding citizens would be respected as long as they behaved in an American way and upheld American values, which means we will leave you alone as long as you assimilate. So if you're Catholic and you send your kids to Catholic school, if you want, if you want to uh, stay under the radar and, and be, quote, respected by the Klan, you're going to put them in a public school. You're going to take them out of Catholic school. And if you are Jewish and your little boy wears a yarmulke, the best thing to do is not have him wear the yarmulke so he can assimilate. And, you know, do, do one better. Change your name to something more, more uh, anglicized, if possible. Those are tips for assimilation. And that's how you can avoid being tortured and harassed by the Klan. Simple. He mentioned in his speech Portland Klan's food drive for hundreds of poor families, which wasn't verified. 
He mentioned an unnamed clan chapter in the Midwest that had loaned $30,000 interest fee to build a local library. All it would have to do was stock Bibles and fly the American flag at all times. Isn't the clan generous? Um, also, that was an unverified and unspecified place. He basically just made that shit up. Now, the Klan did give money to various organizations, and they did give money to cities and states to do that sort of thing. Um, but the reason why he didn't specify it was probably to protect the organization itself and its stronghold there and to protect the people involved with, with being the conduit for that money because it was a big money laundering scheme. Another section of the lecture railed against Jews for rejecting the teachings of Christ. Hey, last time I checked, Jesus was Jewish. Why did they forget that? I don't understand. Also, on, on, one, on, uh, on the note of Jesus, Jesus taught that we are supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Easier said than done because we spend a lifetime learning to love ourselves and therefore to love our neighbors. It's so sickening that when hate groups and even religions in and of themselves that support the teachings of an, an alleged, you know, ascended master, that they use that to hide behind and to justify their sickness. The clan justified their persecutions not on the basis of religious intolerance, but because of the members of, basically, of Catholicism and Judaism because of their disloyalty to American ideals. And Catholics became the main target of the Klan. And probably at the heart of that was they couldn't, you know, it's really hard to come up against an organization that's been around for, you know, a thousand years. <laughs> and you know, Catholics are, that's a generational thing. And it's very hard. And that's something that's passed down from the old country. And that's something that doesn't quite fit neatly into the whitewashed um, forms of, of worship that were so popular, that were popularized at the turn of the century. Um, it was associated with being grubby and, and uh, you know, un-American. The next section insisted that, quote, law-abiding Negroes had nothing to offer. And he incorrectly stated in a blatant lie that some Negroes looked to the Klan for protection from the lawless element of their own race. Can you believe that shit? Can you freaking believe that? That's a lie. We all know that's a lie. The clan believed the races should live in harmony 
as long as people of color recognized whites as the ruling race. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's such a freaking shame. Well, fortunately, the Klan did not last very long in Portland, and I'm going to talk about the fall of the Klan in Portland and the machinations behind, and I guess it's like the Jenga, <laughs> the missing Jenga block that toppled the delicate system to the ground. It's a web of secrecy, wrapped around lies and torture and abuse and subjugation. They knew they were doing something bad. That's, that's the whole thing. I think every single person that engages in this, they know deep down inside it's wrong. Because if it were right, they wouldn't have to, to come up with lies to convince people that it was right. They wouldn't have to shroud it in a mask. You know, the truth does not hide from examination. I bet, and I'm not trying to analyze any clan member, but I'm just speaking from my experience as a human being, on this earth that we all have a sense of right and wrong and they they were what they were doing was a shameful act against humanity dehumanizing other people because of their lust for power the policemen wanted more power more control when they already had power, when they already had the power to kill a citizen if they got out of line. They wanted more power, more money, more stakes in the game, more control of the confiscated liquor and drugs. So they themselves could control that market. So I want to remind you guys, I'm talking about Portland, but this was happening all over our nation. I mentioned Portland because Portland been racist. I have got to get back to the second or third part of my day. I'm going to try to make a nice salad. Got some baked tofu. I'm not even a vegetarian, but I love that stuff so much. If you have not tried it, it's an overlooked item. You can usually find them in most grocery stores in California. Or if you don't live in, in uh, Cali, go to a health food store and get it. But it's just a little brown square. And it's very, very firm. And it has a delicately spiced... Not spicy, though, but like a delicate health food flavor to it. And it has a good texture, and it's full of protein. So I'm going to chop some of that up. Um, I made some soft-boiled eggs. 
I'm going to add some mozzarella balls, which are my favorite, the fresh mozzarella balls. And I'm going to add an heirloom tomato. And I'm gonna do a little balsamic vinaigrette. <sighs> oh yes, and I got some rainbow carrots, like white and purple carrots and, and kind of a reddish brown carrot. And I'm gonna chop those in for texture. And then I think I'm going to list some books. I appreciate your patience. It has been a heavy week. It has been a busy week. And I look forward to bringing you the conclusion of Portland Been Racist. Part two, the fall of the KKK. All right. Thanks, guys. I love you. Take care and have a wonderful night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.